This is out of bounds. What's up, what's up? It's your Monday night spot for the Weird, Wacky, Wild, and Sports. This is Out of Bounds. That's me, O'Brien. I'm John Alba, and happy early holidays to many of you who are celebrating this week. I imagine next week there probably will not be an episode of Out of Bounds, so I want to get ahead of that and say that. Maybe even the next week, too, John Alba, because then we got New Year's Day, baby. Potentially. We'll have to see what we got going on there. What's going on, Mia? You know, I, I sat down here after some grocery shopping after work, John, a manic Monday following, of course, another loss here in Duval County. So, of course, that makes work all the more fun. I was kind of struggling a little bit, but then I saw your bright, shining face and I knew our, our loyal listeners here on Out of Bounds were ready to have some fun, get weird, get wacky. So, you know what? Let's break away from the rest of the world for the next 50 minutes or so and have some fun. Certainly so. we got a great house here, and we want you guys involved in the conversation. To get your comments, to get your questions right on air, you can go to kynchat.com and leave your super chat there. Or if you're watching via YouTube or Twitter, wherever it may be, you leave your super chat there, and we're going to read your comment on air. We're going to read your question on air. we got a lot to talk about here on Out of Bounds, your typical spot for anything cray-cray that's happening in the sports world. Mia, you're up for a quick trip in New York City this past weekend? Did the cold just shock your brain a little bit there? Honestly, John, it was actually warmer in New York Mm. City on Friday than it was here in Jacksonville. That was actually going to be part of my opening toast. I I wanted to cheers to global warming um, because um, who would have thought that I had to escape to the Northeast to actually see the sunshine? Although, thankfully, it has now made its way back down here to Florida. And when I go back to the Northeast this weekend, the sunshine will follow me. So I cannot complain. There you go. I'll cheers to that. I'll definitely cheers to that. Get a little ASMR for you. There it is. What do you got? I've also got my uh, my crisp Lagunitas from the summer because I'm trying uh, to bring the sunshine, baby. Somebody's got to. I see. Cheers to that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Ugh. Uh, we love some good whiskey here on Out of Bounds. Uh, we got ton of people tuned in this week, which I love to see, Mia. And why wouldn't they tune in? Because they just love seeing a little disparity going on in the NFL, especially with he who hath healed by monkey semen or something like that. Honestly, when we like sit down to make the rundown, listeners, I want you to know that John Alba and I consciously say, okay, how can we talk about Aaron Rodgers this week? Because we know that it will get the people going. The Jets have missed the playoffs for the 13th year in a row. They lost 30 to nothing in Miami to the Dolphins Sunday. Zach Wilson was benched, although he may have been concussed. No one really knows on that front. That's a story for another time. Aaron Rodgers, meanwhile, is standing there on the sidelines in Miami at Hard Rock Stadium, just shaking his head. He he doesn't know what's going on. His protege, Zach Wilson, isn't getting it done. The Jets, all of a sudden, uh, do not have a a playoff aspiration that Aaron Rodgers could help guide them to. John, does Rodgers finally get what it's like to be a fan of the New York football Jets? We should should leave this picture up the entire broadcast. Look at this. It kind of sums up just like where we are in the the world of sports right now, just trying to get to the holidays. Aaron Rodgers is not used to this type of futility. This is abnormal for him. So he gets exposed to it in what was supposed to be his big coming out party season that he proved that even at near 40 years old, he could still play top of the game. He gets hurt four plays into the season. And then we don't see a bad season by the Jets. We see a disastrous season 
by the Jets. Offensive futility unlike which we've ever seen before for the New York Jets. They're second in the league with sacks allowed, only second to their co-tenants in the New York football Giants. You also have a concussed quarterback. What are the odds? Yeah, who would have thought? Um, I think Aaron Rodgers got a cold dose of reality with this season and seeing how good he did have it in Green Bay. And, you know, he wanted out so badly there and ended up in a situation where he was given probably the second most autonomy we've ever seen an NFL quarterback get behind Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. And this is what happens, Mia. And now it begs the question, and I think it's a fair question to ask, if Aaron Rodgers didn't have Robert Sala's back, would Robert Sala have even survived yesterday's game? Because I'm That's not a great sure he question. Because that was going to be my question. Not only Robert Sala, but how about his buddy Nathaniel Hackett? I just can't get over, and this I cannot come up with another analogy for, another sports franchise that has punted on a season and said, you know what, our star got hurt, the season doesn't matter, it is what it is. I mean, like, maybe the Warriors in the COVID season, no one even, like, was really paying attention to until it was the Suns and the Bucks in the NBA Finals, um, that they, they just were like, you know what, all of our guys are hurt, it is what it is. We're going to keep everything, and we're going to run it back next year. Like, I cannot come up with another example, can you, of this happening in which, you know, you have an offense coordinator that is scheming up an offense that accounted for eight yards in the first half, and yet it's, well, it's okay, because once Aaron's in, in there, then it, it'll be different. But you look at it, this team, even with Aaron Rodgers, I don't think they're that much better. I mean, they're better because Aaron Rodgers simply knows how to handle pressure better. And I don't just mean physically. I mean, also just within context the media, of emotion. everything else. But I don't see this team being that much better. It is a historic level of futility that we saw from the Jets this year. And Robert Saul is very lucky right now, as things stand, that Aaron Rodgers has his back. Nathaniel Hackett's very lucky that Aaron Rodgers has his back. And I'm curious... What a season like this does for a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who now goes into next year. For all we know, he still might try to play this year. Who knows? He allegedly he made a at this point, right? Like, they're, as a they're, linebacker. They're already out of playoff contention. We led with saying that. I mean, why would he come back? Because he wants to prove to the world that he did it, Mia. It would be, I mean, it would be ridiculous. It he would triumphed be ridiculous. over science it, at it long be- last. It's all part of a grift at the end of the day. That's what this boils down to for Aaron Rodgers. I really, really do think that this is going to make him take a long look in the offseason and try to figure out what his game plan is. And the Jets have to do the same because are you putting your entire franchise's future on one year of Aaron Rodgers next year? Are you adjusting how you're picking in the draft to be based around what Aaron Rodgers wants? We saw how that happened in the NBA with several disgruntled superstars, and it never works. It never works. So what do you do? My thing is, is that having seen it here in Jacksonville, you also can't bank on that defense staying as elite as it is. They continue to replenish it and draft elite guys. They've been able to find some steals and some undrafted free agents that have been able to fit in nice and smooth into their defense. And Robert Sala clearly coaches those guys up as does the rest of the defensive staff. But 
it could get old real quick. And that's what the Jaguars saw because back in 2018, after the 2017 season success, they banked on Blake Bortles. And when the offense under Nathaniel Hackett, coincidence, um, proved futile, you had a top five defense, but what were they to do? And then you get to 2019 where you think you've fixed the offense by signing Nick Foles and then drafting Gardner Minshew. But now your defense has gotten old during that same span and the guys that aren't old beg to get out. And so that's the thing with the Jets, that they're they're riding this very fine line of, you can say, we have this elite, young, ascending defense, and they're going to be good for the next three to four years, and we just need Aaron Rodgers to be good for one year so we can make the run at the Super Bowl. I just don't understand putting all your eggs in that basket when, I mean, they have so many holes. And again, like the roster management part of this is what's going to be fascinating especially if you really are banking on Aaron Rodgers for one year. Because, I mean, do you think they're going to draft a quarterback? I mean, they have to say goodbye to Zach Wilson at this point. Yeah, I do think they're going to draft a quarterback. I think they'll draft a quarterback. In the first round, though, or second round? No, I don't think he'll come in the first round. I think he'll probably come in, like, the third round for them. And then you have to go and you have to sign a quality backup, too. Maybe Tyrod Taylor's the answer there. Maybe someone akin to that. Because we know Tommy DeVito is sticking around New York. He is. We have a quality backup there behind Rodgers. You develop a quarterback who gets to stand on the practice squad and watch Aaron Rodgers play, watch your number two play, and then they can become the emergency quarterback if a situation calls for it. But I do believe that that is probably the action. I mean, they have to draft an offensive lineman first. They have to. They have to. There's just no way around it. There's no way around it. That has to be the first round pick. Um, yeah. As much as I know Robert Sala loves developing that defense at this point, you have to say it's built for now. We can find some guys in the in the later rounds to address whatever holes we may need that may need to be filled after free agency. And they need an offensive line. They need offensive the line. offensive they line is the biggest concern. My My question for you, and you can blame some of this on Zach Wilson all you want. In my opinion, Brees Hall, this was a wasted year, which is a sin, but you can blame that offensive line. Garrett Wilson is obviously a proven number one. I'm not going to question him, but do you have holes beyond Wilson? I mean, you know, you oh, obviously, yeah. I mean, they don't have any receivers beyond Garrett Wilson, right? That's my, that's... that's the other thing. You probably have to draft a wide receiver too, which I think you could get, you know, pl- clearly as the Packers are proving, you could get a guy who could be a day one starter in the third or fourth round. And I think they could use that capital, but it's just, I think they have more holes and that's where, when it comes to the long-term solution, they are essentially punting on it. And they're just like, you know what? We're going all in and we're going to get them help. And I'm sure they'll, I don't even know what their cap situation is, but I'm sure they'll go out and they'll spend a ton of money on that offensive line as well. And they'll draft a bunch of offensive linemen and hopefully it works because the reality is if they have said that next year is the year and the only year, you're looking at a scenario akin to the Houston Texans this past offseason in which Nick Casario needed to bat 1,000 when it came to the draft. If he didn't hit on the quarterback and he didn't hit on developing the rest of the, the draft class and, like, getting the right guys in there for D'Amico Ryans, he's probably can too. And so now that's a scenario that the Jets' front office is looking at. We'll see who those personnel are. Well, here's a team that played like the Jets yesterday, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. Tis the season. Cowboys had a chance to cement to the NFL. They were maybe the best team in the league and promptly laid an egg with a 31-10 loss to Buffalo. Is underperformance when it matters. Simply expected at this juncture for America's team, Mia. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, I could have told you this. I also think part of it is that the Buffalo Bills are playing some of their best football right now. Um, they are proof that you can be the September champs and also the December champs, which I think gives a lot of people and a lot of teams hope for the future, uh, i.e. the team that I cover. Um, because, look, they're a juggernaut right now. And for the first time in the Josh Allen era, they're also able to run the ball. I think for the Cowboys part in this, the bigger question is, can they win on the road? The Eagles obviously have a tough task tonight in Seattle. The Cowboys, as of this current juncture, because of the head-to-head record, would be winning the division. That would obviously give them a home playoff game, if only one, two technically, because I guess they'll be the two seed. Um, so, so that's the other part of this, is can they win away from home? That's now going to be the referendum on the Cowboys, in addition to, of course, everyone's favorite. Uh, one week ago, Dak Prescott was the league MVP. Now he Right, well, that's is the thing. They bust. had a chance to prove to the entire league that he was going to be the He's a MVP. bust. They and shouldn't pay him. No but, but, extension. I mean, I'm not going to that extent, but, man, like, these are the games. If you're an MVP candidate, you got to win these games. You got to win these games. There's no way around that. You got to go on the road, and you got to win a game against a good team. I'm not going to call the Bills a great team, but I'll call them a good team. You you have to win those games. And this is just constant with the Dallas Cowboys year in and year out. Either the quarterback lays an egg or the coaching staff lays an egg. It always happens. It's, I think, what would you rather be? Would you rather be a team that is just futile perpetually? Or would you rather be a team that's constantly in contention and just always comes up short because there's like a lot of heartbreak involved with both scenarios there um personally experiencing it now and I actually asked the player in the Jags locker room yesterday I was like what's worse losing 15 in a row or losing three in a row but you're the division leader and he was like oh my god absolutely the second one because of the expectations and that's the part of this that I don't think Dak Prescott gets enough credit is the expectations are always Super Bowl or bust and yet you you keep coming up short I just cannot believe that the the one week news cycle we just went through which I shouldn't be surprised because it happens every year of Dak Prescott is the front runner for MVP Mike McCarthy's going to sign an extension this offseason to Dak is a bust and Mike McCarthy may get fired because he can't win the big one. Like I'm, but, what I, happened, but look crazy. how quickly the tides can turn where let's say this continues now. Let's say Mike McCarthy makes a boneheaded decision with game management, which would not be not the first time, of. not the last right. either. Let's say that happens. What are we looking at then all of a sudden? We're looking at an entirely different trajectory for the Dallas Cowboys. This is not unheard of for this team. It just is amazing that these franchises show these consistent trends. The Jets always find a way to lose in just the most futile way, right? Oh, always. The, The Cowboys find ways to be really good to a point. It always happens this way. No matter what the regime is, who's under center, it's something in the water. When is that ever going to break? They thought it had to be this year, although the Niners certainly look like a juggernaut that no one's going to catch. The Eagles are They have I two am MVP com- candidates. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, I, I am sure the Eagles are going to figure this thing out just because I have faith in a team that just went to the Super Bowl and has so many veteran players in that championship DNA. So it's not even like you could say, like in the AFC, like because the Chiefs have struggled, 
many people have said that this is like the first time the AFC is wide open. Like, I don't think the NFC is wide open. So you can't even say, well, this was supposed to be the year the Cowboys could capitalize on it. Like, because it's not. They have two other juggernauts they have to compete with and that have been more consistent on the road. That's like, you know, like, that's great. You can win at Jerry World and that you could put on a show every time you're in Dallas and, you know, win a playoff game against the lowly NFC South every year. But for me, I need to see them, and I, I see Scott in the chat brought this up. I need to see the Cowboys beat a team with a win percentage that is higher than the the, the bulk of the victories they have this year. Uh, Scott pointed out the Cowboys have a com- – the teams that the Cowboys have beat have a combined winning percentage of 31%. So, Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if we're ever going to live in a world, John, where the Cowboys are finally like going to get past. Like, I, I think we need to have the University of Texas win the national championship, and then the Cowboys will be freed of their chains as well. And then we can uh, no longer say Texas is back, and we could say but that we like, saw Texas win a championship in 2006, and the Cowboys have not made a Super Bowl since. Right, then. but ever since 2006, we've had like we're back. Texas is back. I mean. And I think that it's like akin to that. So I, I, we need some sort of juju. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's not that, but something needs to give. Interesting. Interesting. Well, there could be a lot of changes going on in the college football world, at least mm. if Chip Kelly had his way. Yeah. Speaking of uh, for the, the Philadelphia Eagles and their former coach, uh, Chip Kelly making a lot of noise at the L.A. Bowl brought to you by Gronk against Boise State this weekend, in which Chip Kelly at the press conference proposed a radical realignment of college football, including creating two conferences specifically for football teams and allowing players to profit directly from the school's rather than NIL. That kind of sounds like the NFL. John, is Chip the smartest man in the room? I think he is. I think Chip Kelly, I mean, you should definitely- That's where we're headed towards, by the way. You should definitely go out of your way to check this answer out. It's on social media if you haven't found it. But Chip's point was essentially, we see all these conferences going away, primarily as a result of what the football teams are doing. And that's having a trickle-down effect on all these other- athletic squads in these colleges Mm -hmm. so you have great soccer he was making the case for like the ucla women's soccer team he's like now they gotta move to the big 10 because of what the football team is doing even though they had a great thing going on there and that's one of those things we don't think about a lot with conferences we usually just think of football and basketball and beyond that we just we're not thinking about the duke field hockey team that's now going to have to travel to play stanford on a tuesday night right so and fly commercial, not fly private, most likely. So, so his his proposal was essentially that we take football teams, just make them their own entity. You have the first sixty four teams are the power conference teams, all under one umbrella with regional divisions, and mm-hmm. then the other sixty four teams are your gr- group of five, if you will. And then you set up a playoff system through that by punching your tickets. And you can have interpromotional matchups if you need to based Relegation. on Relegation. What's that? Relegation from Re- the Power yeah. Five to the Group of Five. Right. And then uh, eventually, you know, you get to a playoff system that allows for it. And the players would profit directly from the school's revenue rather than from NIL because everyone likes to claim that NIL is out of control. So this regulates the system. And I thought Chip was dead on here. I thought Chip's, I I literally got a text from an SID today that said Chip Kelly is too smart to be in college athletics. 
honestly, as I was reading the description, it's shocking that someone smarter than us, maybe we need Chip Kelly to run for NCAA president. Oh, wait, the whole point of this that Chip was getting at was that the college football playoff is not run by the NCAA. Football is the only college sport in America that its championship does not get decided and does the tournament get organized by the NCAA. And so why then do they have to operate under the same rules as all those other sports and all those other sports have to operate under the same umbrella as football? And that's what's so fascinating is like they've always operated on their own, but yet when it now comes to conference realignment, everybody else gets lumped right there with them. Doesn't really make sense to me. No, it doesn't. And his argument was we let Notre Dame be an independent team, so why can't any of the other schools have an independent team for football? Hey, Florida State may uh, may try to go independent. You just watch. Get out of that grant of rights. Are we going to talk about how ridiculous all that is? Florida State? Just the politicians. Oh, where... yeah. Go forth, John. I don't think we put it in the rundown, but yes. This well, is actually just, a golden I mean, it's opportunity just for it's it. just, Let's go forth. It's disgusting is what it is. You have... Just so much trash. And of going course, it's on. Florida too. That's what makes it all well, right. Of absurd. Right. Why couldn't it be like Ohio or Florida? It could never be another one. Florida is in a perpetual state of political chaos and turmoil, and this is what they are worrying about with these college football players, who honestly, at this point, Mia, are probably over it. They're probably over it. It is what it is. They know there's nothing they can do about it, and you've got the head of the college football playoff, clowning Rick Scott. I mean, this is just ridiculous. You literally have the state of Florida suing, like trying to form a lawsuit. Against who? Oh, wait, let's bring it back to they can't really sue the NCAA because the college football playoff committee is not the NCAA, John. Listen, not everyone gets a participation trophy. I know it sucks what happened to Jordan Travis, but the reality is, is there is stipulation in the college football playoff committee bylines that say you have to judge a team on what its current roster makeup is, and that's what they did. It stinks. If Trent, if Trent, if Jordan Travis, I saw someone mention Trent Williams being the Niners' real MVP in the comments. If Jordan Travis was healthy, yes, I think the unthinkable happens. And they go 13 and 0, and Alabama and Georgia, and but Alabama and Georgia potentially could have gotten left out of the college football playoff, which is mind numbing, mind numbing to think the SEC would have been left out. I know there's plenty of conspiracy theorists out there, including in the state of Florida, where the Florida Gators reside and play in the SEC, that believe that Greg Sankey had a gun to the committee's heads and said, you have to let the SEC in. No. If Jordan Travis was there, then you cannot deny that, that Florida State is one of the four best teams. But when you have a quarterback who's never taken a snap at the collegiate ranks, charged with leading them, and I understand Tate Rodemaker, Tate Rodemaker would have been out of concussion protocol, and maybe that changes things. But you're telling me that Tate Rodemaker is going to match up with Quinn Ewers and Michael Penix Jr. and I, I, J.J. McCarthy and the Michigan defense that's been a top five defense for the last two years. I just don't see a world in which that happens. Watch Bama win the whole thing. I do too. That's I already. I may or, <laughs> when I was home in New Jersey this weekend, John. I may or may not have gotten in on the action on that one because I think they are an indomitable force right now. I think Saban has been just stewing in a corner, watching the the, the Kirby Smart ascension, and everyone saying that he's washed. 
And it all culminated on that rainy day in South Florida, in Tampa, or so not South Florida, West Tampa, but it's South Florida, in which the Alabama program reached a breaking point. It reached a point in which they benched their quarterback because he questioned the offensive coordinator and the head coach, and they quickly found out that they need him. And he was the glue of this team. And now Jalen Milrow is about to become the college football playoff MVP. Well, we know Florida State's out of it, Mia. There's a lot of teams who got left out yeah! of the well, so And that means yeah. they're left to toil around in bowl season. Yay! So they get to go to the Orange Bowl um, and get beat up by Georgia, which Carson Beck announced he's returning about two hours ago, which means that he will start against Florida State and they will be demolished. It's currently a 14-point spread even here in the state of Florida by the Hard Rock Casino, so that's when you know. Um, well, it's bowl season. It is bowl and, season. And that means there are bowls in and out. Oh, I know. I'm getting to it. Don't worry. I'm getting to our question. I was going to no. reference the Orange Bowl and um, um, old Kansas coach, Mangini, not Mangini, Eric Mangino. No, Eric Mangini. Mangino. Remember him? And he, like the picture that Dan Lebetard has of like Eric the Orange. Mangini. Yeah. No, Mangini was with the Jets. I'm talking about the Kansas yeah. head coach. Oh. Yeah, Kansas football head coach. Anyways, um, I love that Orange mascot. Um, he's great. What are your other favorite bowl game titles and favorite bowl hmm. game sponsors and traditions, John Alba? Hmm. Well, let's see. Right there, you're looking at it on the screen. This is the brand new one this year. This replaces the Cheez-It Bowl. This is the Pop-Tarts Bowl. And the Pop-Tarts Bowl is going to have an edible mascot, which we talked about a couple weeks ago here with Jordan Katz. Uh, the edible mascot is going to steal bowl season you you bet your ass on that that's north carolina state in kansas state on chris or on december 28th rather at camping world stadium in orlando i i think there's a lot of prop bets on what flavor the the pop tart is going to be i think it's blueberry judging by the graphic pull that graphic back up i think it's going to be a blueberry pop tart Uh, let's see which is going to be very fascinating as they try to eat it I mean, I suppose it could be. It could be. I think they'll probably go with the strawberry, truthfully. Kind of classic. Uh, I love the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Love the Potato Bowl. Obviously, people are going to throw out the Mayo Bath and the Duke's Mayo Bowl, which is a whole other story in and of itself. Uh, But honestly, the one that I'm really looking forward to, and it's because I got to cover a college football game there many, many years ago, Uh, And that is the Fenway Bowl, the Wasabi Fenway Bowl specifically. Uh, As in like the wasabi you eat or? uh, I believe so. No, it's the Wasabi Company. I don't know what they do. (laughs) That would be amazing. Um, Just Wasabi. It's it's SMU and Boston College. And what I just love about it is, is Fenway is just this historic baseball venue and it creates this amazing backdrop for college football and you see the green monster behind them it's it's really really cool what about you well i obviously also covered a game um at the pinstripe bowl though at yankee stadium yeah that's not the same iowa played boston college in the frozen tundra it was 17 degrees on the field and it literally had turned to ice it was wild um i'm gonna go a little more off the radar if you will indulge me john alba let's begin with the bahamas bowl which, which is this not year, the Bahamas Bowl. <laughs> yes, which this year, due to construction, was not hosted in the Bahamas. It was hosted in Charlotte, North Carolina. I also love the Idaho Potato Bowl, not just because of the blue turf, but because you get showered 
with potatoes. I also, I'm going to make sure I have all these. I also love um, the, the, the New Orleans Bowl. Um, because did you know the New Orleans Bowl, which just occurred over the weekend between uh, Jacksonville State, the Fighting Rich Rodriguez's, and Louisiana Lafayette, did you know they do yoga in the dome the morning of the game? Hmm. Yeah, so yoga in the dome. I also love the Myrtle Beach Bowl, in which there is a Hall of Fame for the Myrtle Beach Bowl, and they have a parade that morning in Conway, really? South Carolina. Wow. Oh, yes. Um, and, and there's, of course, plenty of other sh- interesting parades that, uh, that you know, we, we always talk about the Rose Bowl parade, but let's talk about the Cheez-It Bowl parade. I don't know. Um, we could talk about the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl and the beach party. Um, we could talk about RIP the Outback Bowl and the Bloomin' Onion and the Beach Bash at Clearwater Beach. Um, let's see. The uh, Gasparilla Bowl where you get a bunch of pirates. We love the Gasparilla Bowl. Um, I love uh, just some of these. The sponsorships are what are what slay me. Um, but, but also, let's talk about the Bahamas Bowl and how they have evolved with their sponsors, um, from Popeyes to Makers Wanted. Um, the Quick Lane Bowl, which is referred to as the Indoor Bowl in Detroit, which was the Little Caesars. Um, I, I already alluded to the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl, presented by now Gronk, um, which is no longer presented by Jimmy Kimmel. So, yeah, I, the sponsorships is what slays me. And I understand that that's the lifeblood of how these bowls have life. I understand we are looking at a future in which maybe these bowl games are even more meaningless than they already are, according to some. Um, but you know, no, I disagree with that. I think bowl games are fun as hell. And bowl games can be a stepping stone for a lot of programs. And I think the 15 that's practices are huge. The 15 extra practices for a young program that you get by virtue of qualifying for a bowl game. And I just I just think it's a great goal to strive for, especially like if you're a program that two years ago had two wins and now you're trying to turn around. Well, let's set those benchmarks. Hey, our benchmark is within a couple of years, we're going to be bowl eligible. And I don't care if we're going to the Gasparilla Bowl. It's, it's something to play for and to strive for. And then you make it to the Gasparilla Bowl. You say, you know what? No, it sounds really good next year. The Gator Bowl. And then you try to go to the Gator Bowl. And then you're yeah, like. Yeah, nothing says fun like Jacksonville January 2nd, but, but baby. You know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're setting that goal higher and higher. And then eventually, who knows, with this expanded playoff, there might be even more opportunities. So I don't get the people who poo-poo on the bowl games. I, I, don't, I don't really dig that. Let me ask you this. When the playoff expands to 12 next year, and those playoff games will be hosted on home campuses. Should even those first round games be hosted at bowl sites or should it just be reserved for the semifinals? No, because we are trying to make the playoff meaningful and having home turf for those teams that do well and get those lower seeds. I I think there's merit to that. And I'm fine with that. That doesn't bother me. We don't need the PapaJohns.com bowl to be the first round site of the college football playoff. I want Alabama and Texas to have to go play on the blue turf in Boise, Idaho, though. I mean, if, it'd be Bo- fun. if Boise was to win the bid, or it'd be fun, but I, I mean, I just, from a meaningfulness level, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. No, because then you're losing the home field advantage. I mean, then you could argue everybody's on a neutral site, and so it truly is the best team wins. But then it also just means like, what's the point of seeding? I agree. Then there is none. Okay, it's time for the part of the program that I love the most each and every week when John Alba enlightens us on the current state of the Major League Baseball hot stove season. 
Yashinobu Yamamoto has not thrown a major league baseball pitch, but he is expected to command more than $300 million on the market a week after Shohei Otani, or a week plus after Shohei Otani, uh, went for $700 million. The 25-year-old ace had a couple of meetings this weekend with the Mets and the Yankees, with Mets owner Steve Cohen reportedly inviting him to his house for dinner for a spread of French and Japanese cuisine. Of course, this story, John, Took another twist when Yamamoto asked to meet with the Yankees again. What's the next big thing a team can roll out to try and impress Yamamoto? And also, where do you think he lands? Well, let's let's get the pronunciation down first, Mia, because you're going to be saying this guy's name a lot for the next. It's not Yamamoto. Years. Yoshinobu. Yoshinobu. Yamamoto. Yoshinobu. As Yoshinobu. if you were saying Yoshi, like from Mario. Does he go by Yoshi? No. Oh. Yoshinobu Yamamoto. So I've only had to say it 55 times on air. So it's rolling off the tongue well now at this juncture. Uh, I, I think these stories are hilarious about all these teams and owners trying to roll out the red carpets for a guy who's never thrown a pitch in Major League Baseball. And he is going to command $300 million without ever having thrown a pitch in the big leagues. It's It's wild. But that is our reality that we live in. This is going to be a guy who's going to be a franchise corner piece for whoever he ends up signing with. The Steve Cohen situation with him bringing him to his house in Connecticut and serving him French-Japanese fusion cuisine, which I didn't know was a thing, apparently, but but it is a thing. Um, yeah, I, I think in terms of what are you rolling out, you got to roll out all the greats this guy you got to show him that your franchise whomever you may be understands the importance of culture and is willing to fork out the big bucks for him I think the Yankees with reserving number 18 because they know that that's the number for the ace in Japan and leaving that open and making it clear that he knew they were leaving it open for him I think that's meaningful as silly as it sounds that's doing your homework if you're the Yankees yeah does Hal Steinbrenner have his phone number too? I don't know if he has it yet. Okay. Um, listen, my gut says he's going to ultimately go where he's going to get paid the most. But. Do you think the Shohei deal has any influence on this? Do you think he's going to try to pull a similar stunt with the low cap no. number? Or... No, I don't think he'll try to do that. I mean, I think he. The influence that it would have would be, hey, come play with the Dodgers. You're going to have Shohei Otani and Mookie Betts for years to come, and that's something that you'd want to play with. I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't, but he's never going to be the guy there. Are there other teams that could make him the guy? Well, well, if you if you go to the Mets, you're I'll obviously— be the guy. You'll be the guy because you're, but you're placing your faith in. Well, they're in the middle of a rebuild, and they're going to get this thing figured out, and we will yeah, be competing. Yeah, but he's soon. also going to probably sign a ten-year deal, sure. so you're going to have plenty of time for that to happen. Right. If you go to the Yankees, because <clears throat> the Yankees are probably going to have a chance to compete this year with Yoshinobu Yamamoto. You combine him and Juan Soto, they're a different team. What's the long-term future of the Yankees? Who knows? But you're going to have a chance to compete. If you go to the Boston Red Sox, they've been very finicky up and down the past few years. You don't know where you're getting there, but they're probably going to give you a big financial offer. The Giants are reportedly offering him something big financially. My gut says that he ends up a Yankee, but I don't mm, say that confidently. I don't really? say it confidently. I don't say it confidently. I could totally see him ending up a Met. I could totally see him ending up a Dodger. I, there's a chance he could be a Red Sox. I don't think he ends up a Giant. 
but it's funny all these reports this week from my own SNY colleague Andy Martino saying how you know the Mets have been a long shot they've been underdogs and this whole time I'm like well wait I thought we've been talking for months about how they've got the deepest pockets to offer him truthfully Mia I think the Mets would be totally fine if J.D. Martinez was like their biggest offseason signing and the next year they went after Juan Soto but who knows man this is this is a generational guy I mean how do you feel about the idea that he's gonna walk into the majors with 300 million dollars without ever having thrown a pitch I mean it's the going rate that would be my response um it's kind of like quarterbacks in the National Football League and we grew up in an era John especially with this hot stove season when it came to Latin American players especially the Cubans that defected and just to get the rights to speak with them how much money you had to bid none of this surprises me in terms of the monetary value and especially in light of you know the success that so many Japanese players have had when they've come over here. I mean, Hideki Matsui was one of my favorite players as a kid growing up. And so I'm always going to support, I believe the play over, over across the Pacific translates here in the States. Now, does it translate for every player? Probably not. But for the elite of the elite, it does appear like scouting departments have pretty much nailed it down. Um, a couple of our uh, listeners have commented, uh, uh, I'm going to butcher this name too. Kodai Senga with yeah, the Kodai, Mets. Kodai Senga, yeah. yep. Yeah, Kodai Senga is um, Yamamoto's best friend, and so it's hard to think he wouldn't go to the Mets. Um, but if he goes to the Yankees, they could just still hang out and go to lunch all the time because they'd both be in the same city. They could do that. They could do just that. Just saying. I mean, think about what being part of that pitching staff would be if you got Garrett Cole and right. Yoshinobu Yamamoto 1-2 for the next several years. I mean, that's... You're set. You're set, right? If you're exactly. the Mets, what is your rotation with Yamamoto? I mean, Yamamoto becomes your clear number one. Then Jose Quintana. Mm, yeah. Kodai right. Senga. Mm -hmm. So it's it certainly, and look, Kodai Senga was awesome this year for the Mets, but they paid low on him. And who's to say that that dominance will be sustained going forward? We'll see. I mean, I, I certainly think that Yamamoto is the real deal. Uh, what could you roll out more for him? I don't know. Maybe you do some AI and try to show like what it would be like if you played in this uniform and under these circumstances, live out a fantasy dream. Who's to say? I mean, I think he wants to win. I think he wants to make a lot of money. And I love he's this question make a lot of money. just because living here in Florida with the NIL and the recruitment of so many star players, um, i.e. I'm thinking of Cam Ward, the now former Wazoo quarterback. Um, everyone in Miami was like, please come to this fancy restaurant. Please come to this strip club. Please come here. We need to show him a good time. And so I'm trying to think if you're the Mets or the Yankees, where are you taking Yamamoto? Where are you having these these business I mean, meetings? You're going to the Michelin star restaurants. That's where Is you're he going. more of a steak guy or do we I think he's know. like Cam Ward and has sea bass? I don't know. I don't these know. are the Again. questions that I, I'm mostly concerned about the food. Apparently, it was French-Japanese that Steve right, Cohen at went Steve with. Cohen's house. Yes, of course. And Steve Cohen a few so weeks French, ago. So French, which is interesting, because Steve, Steve Cohen is Cohen not French. Steve Cohen a few French. weeks ago flew to Japan to have a meal with Yoshinobu Yamamoto there. So maybe he got an idea of what Yamamoto liked, and he tried to emulate it. Maybe Brian Cashman sat down with Yoshinobu Yamamoto and was like, we want to show you the American experience. Let's go to Arby's. Who's to say? Let's go to McDonald's. Have you ever heard of that? I mean, I'm I'm sure. It was there, it was but a joke. yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see. I, I think landing in New York makes sense. Um, I think Shohei was always going to end up in the on the West Coast. 
Um, he, he was pretty vocal about that from the jump. Um, it feels like Yamamoto is a bit more open to going elsewhere geographically in the United States. And so, um, and, and I mean, Matsui is obviously perhaps the most notable name. I know some of our listeners have noted Ichiro. Yan- the Yankees were a stop of his later in his career. Um, but historically, so many players from overseas and the Pacific across the Pacific have opted for those West coast teams. He seems like the type of guy though, in, in my limited, uh, knowledge of him and by that I mean the last like month um he seems like the type of guy maybe he's a New York guy he's gonna get some good pizza and gabagool maybe Tommy DeVito could take him around yeah let's not bring the unofficial mascot let's not do that let's Let's do do it I'm not into doing that uh let's talk Giannis though yes so Giannis career high 64 points last week over the Pacers His celebration, though, was short-lived as he couldn't find the game ball to commemorate the achievement. After the game, he rushed into the Indiana Pacers locker room and shortly returned to the court where he had a heated exchange with Tyrese Halliburton. Pacers head coach Rick Carlisle explained that it was a misunderstanding as the game ball ultimately went to go to Oscar uh, Sheba. Sheba. Sheba, thank you, for scoring his first official NBA point. Now, the reason I say official NBA point is because he scored one in the play-in tournament that did not count. So the game ball disappearing and then having to track it down, is that really that big of a deal? Like, is this whole thing blown out of proportion here? I just was like, we talked about this on my um, show on 1010XL. Like, I was trying to come up with another example of a player professionally who was this emotionally attached to the game ball that they did something significant with. I mean, most guys are just like, ah, whatever, like throw it into the crowd. I guess like Tom Brady's, like what many thought was his final touchdown pass, like that turned super controversial because they're like, oh my God, they threw it into the crowd. Yeah, that, was, that was historic. Like, listen, yeah, 64 points is amazing. And it could be the most points. And it is the Bucks franchise career. record. And it, and it is. And you would think they would want that ball, but it's also not like he broke the NBA record here. Right. Giannis also then, my favorite part of this, um, he number one reveals that he doesn't even have the game ball from game six of the NBA finals in which he was named MVP. Doesn't even have it. Um, and then says, well, you know, I also wanted to get the game ball for Dame Lillard because now he's fifth all time in threes. And, you know, like Kyle Korver, like he's got 2000 more threes than me. Like that's a big deal for Dame. And it's like, no, you wanted the ball for you, which like is okay. Like admit it. Like, that's fine. Like, I'm not judging you. But, like, to randomly start dying on this hill is kind of weird. Um, I love the the rivalry now between the Pacers, who, of course, just made the finals of the play-in tournament. Um, shout out to Tyrese Halliburton. Um, so, I think this is exciting for Midwest basketball. So, I mean, I can't complain on that front. But the Giannis antics were a little weird. The only thing I could really come up with um, after we brought this up on my radio program was my one co-host told me about how when his son hit his first high school or his first middle school, excuse me, home run ball. He ran into the street and almost got hit by a pickup truck because he was trying to get the ball for him. Um, so that's the only dedication. Joe Coward is the only person that I'm going to put in the same category as Giannis, literally trying to fight his way into the Pacers locker room to get a basketball and then claiming the basketball he was given was not actually the game ball. Yeah, they said that the security guard had the actual ball. It was it was a whole mess. And it, it, it was it, so random. Like Giannis is supposed to be this lovable, like level-headed, fi- like figure, and I, I don't know what happened. It, it was listen, great to see him have this franchise record and a career high, but it wasn't a great look for a guy who is a representative of the league and carries himself historically the right way. Pretty surprising to see that type of emotion from him. But 
Uh, nonetheless, you know, they, they ultimately ended up securing things. Rick Carlisle after you could see on his face, he was just like, this is the stupidest freaking thing ever. And he did not want to be dealing with this. Who would you rather the Patriots be? have been playing so well lately. Right. Yeah. I mean, that kind of answers my question. I was going to say, who would you rather be Rick Carlisle with uh, this headache um, or Monty Williams making $70 million to coach a team that hasn't won since October in the Detroit Pistons? Midwest yes. basketball, baby. That is a disaster going on. Isn't that wild? The, the Rangers, as in the Major League Baseball, Texas Rangers, the World Series champions, have won a game more recently than the Detroit Pistons, who have had a top five pick in each of the last three NBA drafts. And what is that an indictment on, huh? It's awful. I mean, part of it was similar for me to what I feared with the Orlando Magic, that if you have – too many guards, you have no guards, um, akin to what I always say in college basketball, too. You, you have three bigs, but you really have zero. Um, looking at you, Kentucky. Um, but, it, it, like, I mean, you have, like, an elite point guard in Jaden Ivey, I think. Um, I know the Thompson twin has disappointed. You have Kate Cunningham, who was supposed to be the center point of your franchise, like the better Ben Simmons, and just none of it has worked out. And... I don't know what the answer is. Monty Williams was supposed to be the answer to take all these young personalities and corral them and bring them together like he did in Phoenix. And that's just not been the case. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know which of like, obviously you'd rather be coaching the the winning team, but it's uh, it's so fascinating to me this off season, the coaching carousel, because it truly was a carousel. The fact that you have Nick nurse now in, in Philly, you have Monty in Detroit, you have Carlisle in, in, in Indianapolis. Like, it, it's just so funny, like, how everybody kind of just, like, went around the wheel. Yeah, and and everything is revolving around the superstars of the league, and that's where we wrap up here before our Beast of the Week, Mia. Yes, there he is, the MVP, Nikola Jokic, who was ejected from Tuesday night's game against the Chicago Bulls in a shocking decision. Fans were shocked, John Alba, by the official who threw Jokic out. Jokic, excuse me, was ejected after just one technical foul. He didn't seem to do anything to warrant a quick ejection. With pool reports after not providing much clarity, can the NBA afford to have its superstars thrown out of games at this rate? Imagine going to a concert. To see a famous band, let's let's say, let's say you're going to a Jonas Brothers concert, okay? Mm-hmm. You know you're going to see Nick, you're going to see Joe, you're going to see Kevin, and you're there. And halfway through, Joe's just like, "Sorry, guys, got to go." Show goes on. Don't you think those fans who bought those tickets would be pretty pissed off that one of the main pieces they came to see just was gone? That's the NBA. The NBA sells its tickets on its superstars. And when you have Nikola Jokic, who's legitimately one of the greatest big men in the history of the game playing on the road, and the fans start booing because Nikola Jokic gets thrown out, the visiting, the, the home fans for the visiting player are booing because they are angry that Jokic got tossed. What does that say about the status of things? I think the leash has been way too tight on these players this year. We've been seeing like record amounts of ejections. I think this is a really, really poor look for the NBA and officials making it about them rather than letting these guys play. I really do believe that. Especially in light of the criticism surrounding load management. For the same reason that you just outlined, there are fans that spend their well-earned money to watch their favorite superstars and then, oh, wait, you're out of the lineup. 
And now it's not even a, well, you know, he's resting for the postseason or they're trying to, you know, keep him healthy. It's literally, yeah, no, questionable foul. And look, I'm not encouraging fighting on the court. I'm not encouraging flagrant fouls. But there has to be another way around this. Um, And, of course, yes, those players, the game check, does it really matter for these superstars? Not really because they're making millions anyways. Um, But it it is certainly a factor as well that you don't have a night in which you can – take a Nikola Jokic highlight and put it on Twitter and get how many impressions with how many sponsorship and put it on SportsCenter and this, that, and the other. And we know no one is a more well-oiled marketing machine than the National Basketball Association. And so I'm curious to see um, if, you know, they decide if Adam Silver gets all the referees together and they have a summit this offseason to try to wipe this problem out. The players ultimately have the final say in the NBA. We know how it goes. And I do think if some more of them start speaking up about this, you will ultimately see some change happen. And I don't think we're that far away from these players starting to speak up about it. Uh, Akin to a summit, as you said, I could start to see some changes. It's time for the beast of the week. Mia, who did or what was the most beastly thing in the sports world this week? Okay. So this one hits close to home. The Baltimore Ravens last night tweet out, With those two missed field goals in the first half by the Jaguars, you get a free 10-piece of McNuggets tomorrow. Stop by a Baltimore-area McDonald's location tomorrow for your free nuggets with a minimum $1 purchase only in the McDonald's app, app download, and registration required. Who put that marketing plan together? If the opposition misses two field goals, McDonald's gives away free chicken McNuggets. I don't know who came up with it. It's hilarious because the kicker who missed name is Brandon McManus, so maybe we should call him McNuggets the rest of the year. Well, the McNuggets are in a big promotional push right now. They they brought back the McNugget characters, and they're, they're doing those adult Happy Meals right now at McDonald's. So I Leaning think into some, that nostalgia. Of course, there's some synergy there. Well, I mean, look, kickers missing big kicks when it matters is very nostalgic in the NFL, especially as you head down the home stretch of the regular season. Yeah, not a not a great... Not a great week at the office for your Jacksonville Jaguars, that is for sure. Uh, my beast of the week is going to be Brock Purdy, not just because of his MVP caliber play, which we know I mean, he's been amazing this year. But after the game, he gets up there and he's asked about being a potential MVP candidate. And instead, he shifts the focus and says, you know who should be the MVP? My teammate, Christian McCaffrey, who has been amazing this year in his own right. 20 touchdowns for him. He's tearing it up. And Brock Purdy, understanding that winning an MVP would help his contractual situation for many years to come, uh, still opts to put the focus on his teammate instead and make the case for him. And that is a pretty beastly thing to be able to do and a selfless thing to be able to do. 49ers are a really good football team that might win the Super Bowl. So kudos to Brock Purdy. He's my beast of the week. And they just have so many pieces, and they move in such perfect harmony, and it's just fun to watch. It's It's been a big talking point this week about game managers. I know Cam Newton went on a bunch of podcasts and questioned those guys. You can't question Brock Purdy. The fact that he's first in almost every statistical measure by quarterbacks. Do I think he's the MVP? I, I mean, the statistics would say, but I also don't believe that the MVP – much like Brock Purdy, I don't believe it should be a quarterback award. I would give it to Tyreek Hill. I would give it to Christian McCaffrey. I would give it to Miles Garrett earlier this year. Um, but unfortunately, it is a quarterback award. So if it goes to Purdy, good for him. 
This has been Out of Bounds. Another week is in the books. We'll figure out our game plan for the next couple weeks here, but if we don't get a chance to speak to you before the holidays, we hope you have a great holiday season, and we will talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. Have a good evening. Merry Christmas! Roses are red. Violets are blue. I click the subscribe button. You really should, too. If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.